Dark Child, and this is The Dark Verse, a collection of my strange works with the sole purpose of sharing with you a unique world of horror and fantasy that will follow you to the visions of your sleep, your sleep. I hope everyone had a great Halloween. I got to watch Pumpkinhead for the first time. It was okay, but entertaining, so I enjoyed it. And then uh, into the later hours of the evening, I kind of just hung out and did random stuff. I don't really remember, but that's the fun of it, I guess, on Hallow's Eve. Now it's time for a new story, and uh, this story is about memories. And how sometimes they carry along things that we don't want to remember. Can we get rid of those things, those memories, and how can we get rid of them? This is episode 29 of The Dark Verse, and it is entitled The Fragmented. Pieces here, pieces there. It was one sick twisted mess. I had never before seen such an awful and visually tormenting way to die. It looked like some almighty hand of gargantuan size had grabbed the poor man along with the ground, the chair he was sitting on, the desk he was sitting at, and mixed it all together in a contraption of Picasso death. Nothing was as it should have been, and yet, The pieces of it all actually formed a cohesive thing. The chair protruded from the man's lower torso. Desk drawers were rammed through the man's abs and chest. Hands, arms, legs, and feet were flattened like scrapbook material and hastened to several floorboards that were fanned out like the feathers of a peacock from the man's back. And the remnants of the desk were everywhere in between. The man's head was equally as appalling. There was no trace of his face, and that, most unsettlingly, was because it had been completely removed from his skull. There were no fluids, muscle, tissue, blood, brain, or any other matter that should have been there on or in that head. There was only bone. Only skull. I lost the contents of my stomach when I first saw the poor soul. I did not know the man. I was absolutely relieved that I did not know the man. But that did not in any way lessen the perpetual rot beginning to erode within my mind, haunting each image and thought with the residue of coagulated perversion. Looking away was easy, but what remained could never be erased. The man was a tenant directly above me, and I guess I was the first to inspect the scene, since it was my ceiling that was ripped apart to join with him. 
I had heard strange hums not five minutes before the chunk of my apartment was gone. It was a sound of live and festivity, and it was very lucid and methodical. There were voices that mingled in and out of a mundane rhythm, and steps that tapped unanimously atop a discreet beat. I almost found myself lost to the allure of it, even as it traveled to me as a muted hand-me-down, until there rang out the piercing crunch of teeth through wood. Just one loud, brief crunch. I nearly lost my innards right then. I was absolutely perturbed at the occurrence. I yelled up through the hole several times, but there did not seem to be anyone there to answer. So I went up to investigate. When I arrived, I immediately found the door to be unlocked as I knocked upon it quite intensely. Then and there, as the door opened under my force, the smell of evil and wholesomeness interrupted, reached my senses. Just like knowing someone was staring, or knowing there was a turned-on television nearby, I sensed the presence of an unearthly wrongness. It was like each breath I took had tendrils that reached down inside me and tried to grab at my inner essence, touching it and manipulating it and bruising it. If the disturbance had not been under such proximate circumstances, I would have never continued, but it had, whatever occurred, directly affected me. What I first saw when I stepped inside of the disturbed apartment was a conglomeration of small, leafless trees, their charcoal-strewn branches thrust and cut through the air like razor mazes. They were on the floor, and on a coffee table, and on shelves. There were well over twenty. Each one was set in a bed of black powder within simple yet very ancient-looking pottery. I stepped around these trees to make my way further into the apartment. It would not have been an unwise thing to turn back then, but little did I know. I next arrived at the bedroom, where I witnessed the work of gruesome disfiguration and refiguration of flesh and inanimate resources. After I first turned away, and regurgitated those substances I had earlier consumed, I turned back once more to face that which was there. Under confusion, founded on the utterly inexplicable, I became well aware of the brown journal laying at the feet, though not literally feet, of the hideous victim. I would have thought nothing of it, but, strangely, it was my very own journal that I had cared for and saw where for the last several years, an object never given forth to the possibility of loss. I kept it hidden and locked away beneath my bed so that even upon unwanted intrusion, none would be able to acquire it. This meant that such a find was quite literally impossible. Even under complete disgust and revulsion, I reached forth and plucked the journal from its horribly perfect placement and read the contents of its last page 
a page containing my handwriting and a date that, under the circumstances that I had not lost my mind, was one week in the future. You are the murderer of the man before you, though I'm sure he looks much different than when you did it. You might ask yourself, how could I have, or say, not by any circumstances, but it is the absolute truth. I share this with you only because the guilt is no longer yours to carry. A lot has happened in the week you now do not remember. Know this, though. You have most definitely changed, and now you will be free to live where I left off. On a day exactly one week ago, a day you would have partially remembered, and which is probably the very day you think it is now, you went for a walk in the city. In recalling something you would recognize, a soccer ball was kicked in your direction at the park and you pleasantly returned it to those who were in use of it. A few minutes later, you decided to satisfy a creeping hunger with a very good hot dog. Getting to the point, you eventually walked into an antique store hidden in the alley off of Muddle Street. In this store, you met a small woman who knew things extraordinary about your past. Your parents' devastating divorce, your sister's grim battle with depression, your own failing marriage. But this is where things will get strange for you, because you will not remember the store or the woman or those three things I mentioned her speaking of, which means what I have done worked. You also will not remember what happened thereafter. Now I will write of what I did to bring you to this very moment. I didn't want the woman to continue speaking, but she kept listing off the bad memories of my life as if they were fragments of her own living. And then, when my blood was boiling and my ghosts were tormenting, the small woman asked if I wished to make those memories go away. I told her I did. The woman then sold me 27 clay pots that she filled with a mixture of things she said I would not understand and gave them to me to bring home. She told me to place them anywhere, that it didn't matter, and that all I had to do was place my face within them, within the mixture, to release that memory which I clenched within my mind upon the entry. At this time, the woman pointed out that there wouldn't be instantaneous results. She said the effects would be fragmented, the fragmented, and that the old bad memories would grow new from within the pots. Now, you are probably wondering why those pots are in the apartment of an unacquainted neighbor. When I filled each of the twenty-seven pots with the haunting memory of my past, Something happened. Something grew. It was the fragmented. They are not like things of this earth, but they communicate, and they told me what I had to do to complete the cycle that had begun. 
One of those things requested was to place them, the fragmented, in the vicinity of someone I did not know, to have this person watch over them and care for them, and that this person's past would become the vessel of my new future. I went upstairs to 4D, the apartment of Abram Stobe. I didn't know his name at the time, and asked if he would watch over my rare trees while I went on a business trip for a few days. Abram, similar to myself, and not seeming to have many friends, accepted the request. For four days, I left the fragmented under the care of Abram, who was, when I returned, ecstatic to share that the trees had grown quite substantially. I was thrilled. Then the fragmented told me, while Abram was still there, with me since he couldn't hear them, that I needed to place my last memory, the one that they knew was my greatest nightmare, in not a pot of the peculiar mixture, but inside Abram. Could not do it, not then. So I told Abram I would take the trees off of his hands soon, but that I needed a few more days. He was not the slightest bit troubled. Two more days passed. At the end of those two days, there was something stirring inside me. It felt like a mass, a mass of memory that bulged and writhed with all of those things I was trying to escape. It was as if my memories were coming back to me as something different, though definitely not like what I expected from what the woman had said. But whatever was occurring, it quickly became unbearable and I knew I had to complete the request of the fragmented. On the seventh day, today, the very same day that you are reading this, I did what had to be done one more time. I drugged Abram before I began, as to not be an animal for my last, and then I cut into his stomach very delicately with my carving knife, creating enough room to place my face and leave my memory. The fragmented were overjoyed with my success and celebrated with me and their new memories. Then they told me of what would happen next and how it would happen, and that is why I left this journal entry for you, for my future self, because I would not remember any of it. When you finish reading this, you will be free to go out into the world as a new person. Though you do not completely understand what I mean, just know that you should be very thankful. I wish I could be the one to continue on, but alas, you are the one that is free. Make sure to say goodbye to Mr. Stobe for me. I hurriedly closed the journal, burying the text I had just been exposed to. My sanity fell away. I did not want to believe that I could do anything so monstrous. Without so much as giving another detailed glance upon anything in Mr. Stobe's apartment, I jumped down the hole in the floor into my own apartment, not even wanting to bear for a moment the walk through the dark trees. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with what was there. I hit the ground in a rough tumble, falling to my hands and knees. The journal jolted out of my hand 
and opened upon an earlier page. It lay open for me to read as I knelt above it. I read the first couple sentences. I didn't think I wanted to kill Mrs. Ballion, but when I did, I was very glad of it. I always forget how much I love the sound of a short scream. I didn't write that, I instantly yelled within myself. That isn't me. I don't remember that. It's not you anymore, spoke Mr. Stobe and many other multiple voices from the boundaries of the inaudible. That memory is ours to play with now. That concludes episode 29 of The Dark Verse. And if you haven't already, make sure you download all of my past episodes. Because there's for sure going to be some that you like. Maybe more than this one. Maybe more than the last five. I don't know. You have to download them if you want to find out. And I suggest you do. Either on iTunes or at thedarkverse.com. If you want to let me know what you think of my writing, you can email me at sharkchild@thedarkverse.com. If you want to befriend me on MySpace, you can do so at myspace.com slash thedarkverse or myspace.com slash sharkchild. The choice is yours. Now, moving on to the results of the Halloween competition. The winner, ding, 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 the lucky winner of a $20 or less DVD on Amazon is Perfect Angel Luke. Perfect Angel Luke, yeah. Yes, so I will email Luke um, tomorrow or today, whenever that is, and uh, I'll get his information and it'll get a cool prize. As for the rest of you, you will be without goodies. All stories on the dark verse are the sole property of Sharkchild and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without my written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love.